If you have your Bibles, let's turn two places. Uh, we're going to go Luke chapter 2, and we're going to go Ephesians uh, chapter 2. We're going to try to work through this um, rather quickly. Uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't put in the time that Chris was going to have me rambling. So, um, so here's, here's where we're at. Uh, our, our desire over these next few weeks is that we would build anticipation in worship as we enter into Christmas Day. Uh, that uh, the significance of that day can get so easily lost on us if we're not protective of our hearts and of our minds. And, and we can try to make this season really a lesser version of what it's intended and what it could be. Uh, and so, so it, it's, it's possible over the next few weeks that we would get lost. In fact, some of us have already gotten lost, right? Uh, we can get lost in, in the planning. Uh, we can get lost in the giving. We can get lost in the traveling. We can, uh, and, and, and what results is that we don't spend time focusing our hearts on a very momentous occasion, uh, a very praiseworthy occasion in the birth of Christ and the promises that His arrival actually bring to us. Uh, and so, so what we're doing is we're taking a few moments each week, uh, this week and next week, uh, and, and we're going to two different places in the Bible. Uh, one of them is the Gospel, uh, where we hear about some promises of what Jesus w- has brought us in His arrival, and then we're seeing our story played out in Ephesians 2. It's one of my favorite chapters because the full gauntlet of the Gospel is explained very clearly. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're looking at what was said in the gospel and how that applies to us uh, in Ephesians 2. And, and so we came in last week and we were in Matthew 1. Uh, and, and what we saw was that the chief purpose of Jesus is that he would, he would glorify God by saving his people from their sins. Right? That was, that's, that's good news for us. That's what the angel tells Joseph. That your son will save his people from their sins. And we connected that to the first couple of verses of Ephesians 2 uh, by, by understanding uh, the state of our lives apart from Jesus. That, that before anyone comes to a saving faith, uh, faith they are first dead. Uh, they are dead physically. They are dead spiritually as a result of sin. That's, that's what Ephesians tells us. And, and it painted a very depressing picture for about three verses. Uh, because... Uh, when we arrive in, chapter, in verse 4, uh, Paul helps us understand that, that out of God's great love for us, because God is motivated by His love, He brings us back to life in Jesus. That, that, that not only are we saved from the danger we were in, uh, we are raised up, we are seated with Christ, meaning we have access to God's protection, we have access to His provision, and we have His purpose for the remainder of, of our lives. And, and so this week we're going to continue kind of building on this anticipation as we remember uh, that, that as Jesus comes to save his people from their sins, but we're also going to see an incredible side effect, a benefit that we get to experience of Jesus and his role in our lives. And, and that's an effect that we all long for but can't truly find apart from him. And so let's pray and then we'll get going. Father, we come to you. We are mindful and we are thankful of your great love for us. We pray as the Holy Spirit speaks to us in these moments that we would uh, do so with our hands up, 
that we would not try to build defenses, that we would just simply listen, digest, meditate, and then react in a way that's glorifying to you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, all right, Luke chapter 2. All right, you ready to go, Alan? All right, here we go. In those days, okay, in what days? Those, okay, you're like, well, what does that have to do with anything? I was just seeing if you were awake. All right, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, you know, that guy, uh, was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph, we talked about him last week, also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, called, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, um, and if you like to underline your Bible, which is okay around here, um, who was with child, um, which again, that was not... Uh, that's, a, that's an issue, all right? Um, if you're like, hey, I know we're engaged to be married, but you kind of got a baby on the way, all right? Uh, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn and wrapped him uh, in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And everybody sings, away in a manger. Nobody sings, all right. Y'all are the absolute worst. So... So now, in these verses, there's a lot of prophecies that we get to see fulfilled. Uh, we, we get to see uh, the Nazarene connection. We get to see the Bethlehem one. We get to see uh, the genealogy that's being fulfilled. We get to see the virgin birth. And, and one thing we must constantly keep in mind, when you hear the Christmas story, right? When you share the Christmas story with your kids, one of the things we constantly try to keep in mind was that this was always, this is not a new plan for God. Right? In fact, this is the fulfillment of promises that he has made centuries before. Okay, so, 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 so God is bringing into completion steps that he's already begun. So, so Jesus is not born and God's like, oh, whew, oh, we really lucked out there, guys. We found a Savior. All right, everybody breathe easy now. We found one. All right, that's not the case. All right, uh, God, as far back as Genesis chapter 2, 3 uh, has promised this coming Messiah. Okay? So, so Jesus is nothing new, and yet He is new to us in this sense. And so he, God has been motivated out of His great love for us to put His glory on display by the arrival of Christ. And so, so verse 8 is going to bring us a scene change. Okay? So we've got to see, you know, there's, there's baby Jesus, no room at the end. We get that. And now there's a scene change in verse 8. Uh, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Okay, do we get the scene? Right, we've closed that one. We've opened up to this new one. There's a field, there's shepherds, there's sheep, I'm assuming. Right, it's not Christmas party. It's actual work, work day. So there's, sheep, there's shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Okay, So there's two things happening. An angel appears, and then the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. They were filled with great fear. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure if I've ever seen an angel before. Uh, there, there are places in the Bible that says you... There are those of you who have entertained angels without even knowing it. Uh, now, I've never, I don't know if I've ever literally seen an angel except for my wife who fell from heaven, right? Uh, 
Uh, she, she's out, and never mind. I take it back. Take it back. I'll use that later. Um, and so, but, but when I read my Bible, the common response to angels leads me to believe that they don't look like Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. Okay? Leads me to believe that they aren't like precious moments figurines where they're just cute, you know, and they got their little angel wings. All right? Because the common response when an angel of the Lord shows up in the Bible is people drop to the ground and they bury their face in the dirt. All right? There is fear that comes upon them. Now, now the word fear here uh, is, is the Greek word is called phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S, right? And it literally means to have fear and awe. Okay? So, so when they drop to the ground and they are fearful, they are both feared with fear and awe. Now, my question is, okay, so what is that? Alright, if those are two different things, what are those two different things? My belief is that the fear that they have is the fact that the glory of the Lord is shining around them. And they are coming to grips with how far they are from that glory. Their sinfulness becomes very aware to them in that moment. And there is fear because now they know, I'm not in the right place. And then there's awe because they are standing in front of the beauty of of the angel of the Lord. And so, so God is gracious and He's merciful in this moment and He sends this angel to these guys. Uh, and this is what I love about it because uh, the, the shepherds, they will, they will enter onto the stage and then before you know it, they'll be gone. Alright? So, so what these are, these are just average guys having a very average day being invited to a very not so average story. Alright? And this is what God does with us. God invites very average people who are doing very average things into a story that is not so average. And so, so verse 10. You ready to go, Alan? Verse 10. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not! Which to me would be like the parent telling your kids, Hey, stop being afraid. You know? Uh, well, you've not done anything to lead me to believe that I shouldn't still be afraid. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be... Okay, now these next couple of words are helpful. For all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. So it's these words, they're powerful because they take the guesswork about why Jesus has come and the message stays consistent throughout all the Gospels. That Jesus' arrival opens the door for man to have a Savior. In fact, in verse 11, it, it, we get three different functions of what Jesus is accomplishing for us. Uh, we get to see that He's a Savior. We get to see that He's the Christ. We get to see that He's the Lord. All right? So the way I kind of think about it, he, He's my hero, He's my promise, and He's my champion. That, that what I needed, what my story needed, and we talked about this last week, what my story needed was a hero um, remembering that no matter what my strength may be, I will never be strong enough to rescue myself. Never. So God makes and sends my promise. He, he has said He will never leave me and forsake me. And, and so when He sends Jesus, He's fulfilling that promise. That Jesus as my Lord, as my champion, He serves as this reminder uh, that He is my great mediator between me and the Father. But He also rules and He reigns over my life as a perfect Lord. So His provision, His protection are always without fail. Always. So we get to verse 12. 
And the angel of the Lord says this, And you, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths uh, and lying in a manger. And suddenly, okay, now pay attention to this because we, we, we lose. We don't see verse 13 too often. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. And it's, what a sight, right? Like, it's, it's hard. Even in my mind of what I think that looks like, I think, it, I think it falls short very easily. That the news of Jesus' arrival is so great that for a moment, heaven breaks out on earth. In a church service, the likes we've never seen is unfolding. That, that, that a multitude of angels appear. Not just a few, not just a little small team or a squad, but, but a multitude. You know how many is a multitude? A ton. That's a lot. I don't know. There's no like number. Like Some of you are like, oh, it's like 16 and a half. No, you're wrong. It's just, it's so many you say, I can't count that. So a multitude. What, is, what a sight. And they are celebrating and the first thing they do, first thing that comes out of their lips, is glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. There is no one greater. Glory to God and on earth. There's a big word they say. What is it? Peace. Peace. So that leads us to Ephesians 2. We're going to carry this thought of what, what kind of peace are we talking about? All right, Ephesians 2 simply says this. Actually, we'll get, we'll get to... I lied, Don. Don't go there yet, man. You're good. Put your arms down, bro. You'll be okay. Let's go back to verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. So, he, so here's the question. Why does Jesus come? All right? We saw this last week. First step was to save His people from their sins. Okay? And number two, here's where we are, to be our peace. To be our peace. Right? So the arrival of Jesus brought between man and God a lasting agreement of peace. Not, not that God was at war with man, but He was wrathful against sin. Okay, He's always been wrathful against sin. And so we saw last week and we're reminded that sin puts you at odds with God. And so what we need is a Savior. We need someone who can take us from a hostile relationship to a peaceful one. And this is where we go in Ephesians 2. You ready to go, Alan? We good? Ephesians 2, chapter, verse 8. You skipped like 18 different blanks there, right? Because you were telling Lacey, oh, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? Yeah, you're missing stuff there. All right, for by grace. All right, this is where we go. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. All right? And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is a weird name for a team, by the way, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our, what? Peace. Very good. Who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making, what? Peace. And He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who were far away. And what? Peace. Is this a trick question? No. Like the answer's been peace for like 45 minutes now. And peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Okay, so, so here's, here's our goal today. Alright? There's a lot of words shared in those 11 verses. Okay? And there are eight of them that I really want us to lock in on. Okay? And now, the eight that I'm going to share with you are very easy to overlook. Okay? Because there's a lot of very spiritual sounding words in these verses. We get, we get words like... Uh, Faith and workmanship and uh, commonwealth and covenants and peace and hostility and abolishing and law, commandments, ordinances, uh, reconcile, preached, access, spirit, father. All of those sound very spiritual and yet the ones we're going to find are very non-spiritual. But they are very important when it comes to connecting us to what Paul is trying to teach us. So, so let's get back to verse number 8. We begin unpacking how, uh, how we can join with the angels and how we can declare the arrival that Jesus is bringing us as He brings peace to man. Verse 8. All right? Is in your talk notes, you can follow along if you like. Those first two words, for by. For by. Alan, can you bring that up? Thank you, sir. For by. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved for grace. Now why, is, why, is, why, is the, why are those two words important to us? Because it's a connector to the previous seven and it's going to open the door for the next seven. All right? so, so because of God's great love for us, we are brought near to Him through Jesus. But, but not only are we brought near, right? But we're made alive. But not only are we made alive, we are raised up. We are seated with. We are given access to the family table. We are given access to the family power. We are given the privilege of serving the family in a way that brings honor to God. So, so what Paul does here, he, he tethers us to these previous verses before we begin trying to take liberties with the gospel story and we try to move ourselves center stage. He says, for by grace alone. For by grace of God. For by the grace that God is displaying in Christ. Grace alone. Now here's what that means. That means that God is not obligated, yet He cares for us deeply in Christ. He doesn't owe you. He doesn't. You, you, this gift, it means you, you didn't buy it for yourself. You didn't earn it for yourself. Rather, we've been created in Jesus to put the goodness of God on display. That, that God is motivated... He's the one motivated to rescue us long before we're reaching out for Him 
to him for help. Long before. And this is going to lead us into verse 12 that says, says uh, I'm sorry, verse 11. We'll start in 11, but we're getting to 12. Therefore remember, right, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. We'll talk about that in just a second, uh, but not in detail. Uh, verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and you were strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, so our next two words, all right? So we go from four by, and we're going to get to these next two words, remember that. All right? Verse 12 begins with remember that. And now here's what, here's what I know about this, because our memories can, can serve an important function with our hearts. Because they can remind us of, of dangers, and they can draw us towards celebrations. Okay? And in this verse, we get to see both of those things. We get to remind ourselves of the dangers of sin. And then at the same time, we get to be drawn towards the celebration of what God has made available to us in, in Christ. Paul will, Paul, will never, uh, Paul will want us to never leave the memory of our state before we came to Christ uh, since it serves as this launching pad for worship. It does. And it might be helpful to know the letter of Ephesians, uh, as Paul is writing to this church, uh, they are by and large Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles meaning that they weren't born into Judaism. They're, so they're not Jewish people. And so uh, as, you, as, you work in, as you work yourself into the book of Acts, uh, you see that the gospel is first opened to the Jews. And then about chapter 9, 10, uh, you start to see this shift where, where Paul uh, God will speak to Peter, and then by extension he will speak to Paul about the, Genti uh, the Gentiles being included in the family of God. Okay, So Paul is writing to the Ephesians, uh, who are by and large a society who are Gentile. Okay? And so, so the argument that became was that most Jewish leaders didn't mind Gentiles becoming Christians, except they said, hey, you need to go through the lane of Judaism first. Okay, so what you need to do in order to be saved is you need to become a Jew, and then out of your Judaism, you need to be saved. Uh, and, and Paul is consistently coming in, and he says, no, 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 you don't have to do that, because the argument is, well, if I become a Jew, then I am therefore obligating God to rescue me. And he says, no, no, that's not the way this works. You don't back God into any corner. You don't barter with him. You don't say, hey, well, look what I just did for you, you know, now... You need to do something for me. And so, so this plan would work great if the glory of us is the chief end of our lives. Um, because if we could earn such a valuable gift, we could consider ourselves a pretty big deal, right? So Paul walks us into verse 12, and he says, When you think of your salvation, never forget the distance God traveled to redeem your heart in Christ. He says things like you were separated, you were alienated, you were a stranger, and this led you to having no hope, and you were without God. And now here's what, here's what I want you to be aware of, is, is, is we, don't, we don't live here knowing that we were sinners. But we also don't leave here. Does that make, does that make sense? We, we don't live in this moment of, well, I'm just a wretched sinner and I'm no good to anybody, because in Christ you are no longer those things. But you never leave that thought. You will never advance from this part of, ah, you know, I used to be a sinner, but not a big deal anymore. 
No, he says, he says you, you are constantly aware of this because it launches you in worship to God. Because you say, I don't deserve any of it. And yet you give it to me. So, so, so we remember who we were so we can better understand who Christ is making us to be. Which leads us to, to verse 13 uh, in our next two words, but now. But now. I love this. But now, in this verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, right? By the blood of Christ. So, so there's this great parallel between this week and last week, right? Because verse four, 13 is similar to verse 4. Because it says almost the same thing. But God, and now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you were brought near. That, that Jesus doesn't serve us like we were going to a club and he's the bouncer and he's like, ah, you're cool, come on in. And that's the extent of his involvement. No. He pays for your access. But not just with cash, not just with privilege or title, with his sacrifice. That through the blood of Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near. But now, it rings in a new season for us. It's, it's, like, the, it's like the angel appearing before the shepherds. Something significant has, has happened and we now are given access. We no longer have to look at God and know Him from a distance. We get to be found in Christ. We get to be cared for. We get to be given purpose. Now the question is, but why, right? Why? And, and Paul will, will tell us uh, Jesus becomes for us. And so verse wh- who Jesus becomes for us. And he says this in verse 14 with these next two words. Uh, for he. Okay? We, can, we can overlook these two words, but they're super important to us. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Hear that? For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay? Sin creates a wall. Okay? There's some beautiful imagery uh, when Christ dies on the cross uh, and this veil that separated man from God is torn in two. That, That Christ divides, He breaks down that dividing wall of hostility by removing for us, by making the payment for the law that had to be fulfilled. And in verse 16 tells us, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing that hostility. And he came, and this is what I love, Paul says this, he thinks about himself, and he thinks about the people that he's working with, and he's serving. And he says, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who are near. So he's talking about he preached peace to the Gentiles and he preached peace to the Jews. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. That we get to serve alongside the body of Christ together. So Swan, we can we can start wrapping this up. For he himself is our peace. He's our peace. Now, peace to you may be different in different seasons of your life, right? 
uh, how you encounter peace can be different. How you pursue peace can be different. But what we get to learn is that He is our peace when we're struggling with having control over the circumstances of our lives. That, that He is our peace when our restlessness is leading us towards sinfulness. He is our peace when, when fear wants to grip and choke courage out. That He's our peace, which is why we come back to Luke chapter 2 as our response in worship this morning as they, about the arrival of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Peace among those with whom He is well pleased. God is glorified because we have found peace. And now the issue there is that there are many of us in this room that say, I don't feel at peace, right? I don't, I don't feel that this season of my life is peaceful. And I think part of that comes with not understanding when Jesus says, I'm giving you peace, what he's actually giving you. Because there's this moment in John chapter 14. I, was at, we were, I had the privilege of, of doing a funeral this week and I got to share um, this moment. It's one of my favorite moments in, in all the Gospels. Um, that, that Jesus is in the upper room and they're having the Last Supper and, and John gives us the best, I'm telling you, it's the best play-by-play about what went on in that room. And in it, there's this moment as Jesus is talking to His disciples and He says to them, Hey guys, listen, Things are about to change. And I think because I like to think of the disciples as average people until the Holy Spirit does extraordinary things through them. That the same looks that we have when we're not at peace are the same that they had. And Jesus is talking, as you abide in me, understand that life is about to change. It's not going to be as easy as you thought it was. Is you've grown accustomed to my fame and my popularity and, and you've got to walk as my entourage. You've got to serve people in my name. You've got to see miracles happen in my name. But you're about to enter this season where all hell is going to seem to be breaking loose in your life. And that they're coming for you. And he says, don't worry about it because they came for me first. He <laughs> says, they hate you because they hate me. This is about me. It's not about you. But in the middle of this conversation, Jesus is looking at him and he says this. He says, peace, I leave with you. This is my peace, I give you. And we say, oh, that sounds, that sounds great. Let's get that cross-stitched on the wall so we can see it every morning, right? But then he adds a caveat. He says, he says I, don't give to you, I don't give you peace the way that the world gives you peace. And when we look at Ephesians 2, we get to find out why that's the case. Because there's no promise in the Bible that the believer will have an easygoing life. There is none. And if somebody sold you on that thought, you bought something that was empty. There's no promise. In fact, the promises we get through the Bible that because of Jesus, the world's going to jack with you. And so Jesus says, I'm giving you my peace. Why is that? Because He is our peace. He is our peace. Not just in the, 
not just in the sense of the absence of conflict. That's the way the world thinks of it, right? That I'm at peace when I'm not at war. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I am your peace in the middle of your circumstance. I am your peace in the middle of the turmoil and the pain and the confusion and the anger and the lack of control, which, by the way, when you realize you're not in control, it's just a moment realizing that you've never been in control, by the way. So so he says, I am your peace. And he gives, he gives that to us, guys. He gives you that. And now the question on the table, and this is rhetorical, which means, Mark, you don't answer it out loud. Is, is are you willing to walk in that peace? Or are you willing to expect peace in, on your terms and your terms only? I heard a guy once say, you know, uh, a friend was telling him, you know, I've just, I've given that to God so many times. And the, the guy looked at him and said, well, how often do you let God keep it? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you said you've given it to God so many times. When do you, when do you pick it back up? He say, I'm going to take this now. And a lot of there are reasons why we're not at peace because we haven't relinquished. We've given to God and we've said, ah, I'll take it back now. I'll let you play with my toy and then I'm going to take it back. So in this season, this season, we get to celebrate because Jesus comes to save His people from their sins and we get to celebrate because we can be at peace. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. Oh my gosh. Went late. Today, if you need prayer, we want to pray with you. Mark and, and Mackety, they'll be over in this area. Maybe, maybe you don't know peace because you don't know Jesus. I promise you, there's nobody else here that I would, I would think would be better at helping you find Jesus than those two guys. I love this church. I love what we get to do today. I'm proud of you. (laughs) Let's pray. We thank you, Father, because you love us. And I pray we would be able to pursue peace in this season. that we would settle conflicts, that we would celebrate what You're doing in our lives. And Father, most of all, I pray that we would understand how Your Son is our refuge, how He makes peace possible. We love You. In Jesus' name we pray.